Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us to continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. I gotta, let me be honest, I am pumped about today. I'm excited about it for me to just confess for a moment. I am overprepared for today, so I'm gonna do my best to not be long-winded, but uh, I'm excited about this because I believe God wants to deposit a word into our church today, and not just our church as a whole, but I, I, hear me on this. He wants to speak something into you today, and I'm pumped about this. Today, we're gonna be looking at the book of Numbers, chapter 13, and Numbers 13, we see that the Israelites show up on the edge of the promised land, and, and Moses sends some spies in to the promised land in order to be able to see, like, God's been talking about this place. This is where he wants to bring us. Let's check it out. Let's see what's here. And this is the report he gets back. Numbers 13, verse 30 said, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored and said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. Now catch this last statement. This is so critical. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I want to think about this this morning. In this story, we have a group of men who are so focused on their own inadequacies. They said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And I believe in this story, God shows them something about himself, and he shows them something about themselves so that they can identify themselves better. See, today, I believe God wants to introduce you to you. He wants to introduce you to who he created you to be and, and, and how he sees you today. And it's my prayer, and I want to invite you to pray with me right now that we would all get this. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we pray right now that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our eyes to see, that we would see Jesus God, as we look into your word today, and that we would understand more of who you created us to be. So God, I pray right now that you would get me out of the way, that, that, that nothing I would do would take away from your word, but I pray instead your Holy Spirit would speak to us now as we look into your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's my hope and my prayer today that you would encounter Jesus in a way where you would begin to understand who he is more and you'd recognize him more. And as a result of that, you would begin to understand who you are more. See, there's a you that you haven't met yet. There's a you that God wants you to meet. There's a stronger you. There's a wiser you, a more fortified you. 
a more peaceful you, a you that prays more, a you that, that stresses less. And see, you can't get into God's presence and see God differently without seeing yourself differently. Job put it this way in Job 42. He said, my eyes have heard about you. My, sorry, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. See, you can't see him differently and not see yourself differently. You can't see him as bigger without seeing yourself as stronger. You can't see him as wiser without seeing yourself as smarter because you are in him and he is in you. So your perception of him impacts your perception of yourself. Hear me on this. When you see God for who he is, you will walk differently. When you begin to see God for who he is, you will talk differently. And you, will, you won't run away from situations you'll run into. You won't want run away from Goliath. You'll run at Goliath and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares defy the armies of the living God? Who would dare try to stand in the way of what God wants for my life? Who would dare try to stand in the way of what God wants for my kids? No, who do you think you are? I know who God is. We walk differently. We talk differently when we begin to see God for who he is. See, God wants to introduce you to you. He doesn't do it just so you could get excited. He doesn't do it just so you can get pumped up and go, man, that was neat. He does it so, so that we can understand how we're supposed to fit into our assignment. See, God created you for a purpose. And for you to live out that purpose, for you to fulfill what God created you to do, to fulfill the work, he, the reason why he put you in the workplace, the reason why he put you in that particular job. You've got you've to see yourself correctly because the course and the quality of your life is not just determined on how we see God, it's determined as well on how we see ourselves. So where you're able to go has a lot to do with your insight, your insight, the ability to be able to see in. When you look in, I wonder, how is your insight? When you look in, do you see right? When you look in, do you see a grasshopper or do you see a giant? Because we've got we've to stop for a moment and pause and go, wait, if we are the children of God, we need to recognize that there is a way we can look in that is wrong and there is a way we can look in that matches up with the word of God. So when you look in, are you seeing a grasshopper? Are you seeing a giant? Let me tell you guys, I believe that God is positioning us to do some amazing work with First Revival at the beginning of this year. But what I'm so pumped about is it's, it's not going to begin on January 1st. This work has already begun. God has already started lighting a fire in some of you, and he's starting to speak to you about who you are, and he's starting to speak to you about your purpose. He's starting to speak to you about why he created you the way he created you. See, it's so important that when we see, we see in right. How's your insight? Because I need to see. I, I need to see, because could it be that, that I can only go as far as I'm able to see? Could, could it be that, you know, God has his plans for us, he has his visions for us, he has his purpose for us, but, but could it be that that's just his preference for us? And could it be that God is willing to let you settle on whatever level you want to settle on? That yeah, he has hope and dream and purpose for you, but could it be that he is a, he is a shepherd and he leads, but he actually expects us to follow 
We look at this story, it's in Numbers 13, but really that's where we just picked the story up. This began in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. And in fact, in Exodus, I, I love studying the book of Exodus because Exodus just means exit. And throughout the book of Exodus, we learn that God is God of the exit. And it gets me excited when I learn that God's God of the exit because if God is God of the exit, then I'm never going to be trapped. And there's some of you in this room that you felt stuck and you felt trapped and our God is the God that can get you exited out of that being stuck and that being trapped. So Exodus chapter three, we got the Israelites and they're trapped. 400 years, they're stuck in slavery. 400 years, they're, they're, they're in bondage. They, they can't live for themselves. They have to live for someone else. They're stuck to something. They can't do what they want to do. They want to move forward, but they're trapped. And get this, they stay stuck. They stay trapped until, until they decide to ask God to get them out. My gosh, why did it take 400 years before someone said, hey, let's ask God to get us out of slavery? Why does it take us so long when we go, like, like I've, I've been going through this struggle over and over and over again. Why do we wait so long before we say, I need some help? And the nation of Israel, after 400 years, begins to cry out to God, God, give us help. God, we have a problem here. And they start crying out to God, deliver us. Please, God, help us. So what they do is they have a problem. They talk to God. And then God, the text says, begins speaking to a man by the name of Moses. So they have a problem, they talk to God, and God starts speaking to Moses. They have a problem, they talk to God, God speaks to Moses. Are you catching this? They have a problem, they talk to God, and God starts speaking to a man named Moses. Now that's a problem. Because when I have a problem and I talk to God, I assume that God would begin to talk to me. And here we are, we're looking at the Israelites and they're in a season where they feel abandoned and they feel neglected, they feel unheard, all the while not knowing that God is trying to convince the answer to accept the assignment. It's like, they didn't know the whole time they're talking to God and they're feeling unheard that God is already working on the answer. Like, just because you're not hearing back from God doesn't mean he's not working on the answer. Did you hear what I just said? Just because God is not talking to me about the problem doesn't mean he's not already working on the answer. And, all, and Israel had no idea that behind the scenes God had a working plan. And all of a sudden Moses shows up and he shows up with an announcement to make. And that's the way life can be sometimes. Where you feel unheard. You feel abandoned. You feel like I've been trying. I've been trying to do things the way God wants me to. I've been crying out. You feel like you're not being heard. And then all of a sudden Moses shows up with an answer. Now, it's interesting because the way this came about was a conversation between God and Moses. And God has this conversation with Moses. He shows up. You've heard the story of the burning bush. He starts talking to Moses and saying, Moses, um, uh, I, I need to talk to you about something. We first need to look at Moses' life and recognize Moses was a guy that never really fit in. He, he was a man whose life was just completely covered in rejection. If you think about it, I mean, 
He was abandoned by his mother. He, he didn't know why he was abandoned by his mother. He didn't know that his mother actually gave him up in order that he is, his life would be saved. All he knew was that his mother abandoned him. So, so he was a Hebrew boy, and, and he got picked up and brought into the palace and was raised in the Egyptian palace. So he's a man that never fit in, a man with re- rejection. He was, he was too Hebrew to be Egyptian, but now he's too Egyptian to be Hebrew. So he... He grew up awkward, right? Never realizing that the awkwardness was actually uniqueness. That, that, never realizing that the not fitting in was part of God's plan to show him that is uniqueness. And sometimes your life needs to catch up with you so that you can come to realize that the awkwardness of a previous season of your life might actually be exactly what makes you relevant in this next season of your life. See, what made you awkward in a previous season makes you relevant in this next season. God begins trying to give Moses his assignment. His assignment was his purpose. The purpose is the reason that this thing is created. God begins to speak to Moses, this is why I created you. This is why you're on the earth. I have a plan for you. I've got an assignment for you. And he begins inviting him to, to be a part of that assignment. That's what we call a calling. And he starts talking to them about the fact that the Israelites, like, they, they need help. They're in, they're in slavery. They're in bondage. And I want to deliver them. And I want to use you to be a, a piece in this. And the way that Moses responded, is, I, I don't want you to miss this because we're going to wrap back around and get back to this. The way that Moses responds to God, when God shows up and catches a bush on fire and starts talking to him about the fact that there's a plan for his life, Moses immediately begins responding with his own inadequacies. Like, uh, God, I, th- I think you got the wrong guy. Like, maybe you're looking one field too far over. Like, I'm not the right guy. You, you don't know about my past. You don't know. Like, maybe you didn't see when I murdered the guy. Maybe you didn't see that I'm actually out here in hiding right now. Maybe you just don't know about me. And see, Moses thought that his inadequacies and his, his failures exempted him from the plans and the purposes of God. But what he didn't know is that God sees things differently. And what Moses thought would exempt him from God's purpose, God actually was saying, this is my insurance policy of the reliability of Moses because Moses is going God I can't do this and God's saying exactly he's like no without your help you don't understand God I can't do this I'm gonna need your help and God said exactly because I know that you know you can't do this without me. And since I know that you know you can't do this without me, you're always going to come to me. You're always going to rely on me. You're always going to pray. And you're never going to try to lead my people on your own. You're never going to try to do your life on your own. So I can trust you with something big because I know that you recognize that you're inadequate in order to be able to do it on your own. That's why you need me. You're going to consistently listen to me. So Moses shocked by this one says okay I'm willing to do it it's a big task I'm willing to do it but I can I, but first I need some information I need a name I can't I can't just like go back and and tell the Egyptians you got to let um, God's people go because they're like a polytheistic culture I mean anytime where there's bondage and slavery there's a belief that there is more than one God and it, and we see that in this bondage and culture they think that there's like lots of different gods so he's going I need a name like I can't go back and be like God told me to tell you to let them go like so uh, he's gonna be like God who so 
Like, what are you, God, you got to help me. Give me some information here. I need a name. And God says, okay, I'll give you a name. You ready for it? I'll give you a name. And Moses is like, okay, I don't want to miss this. He gets his phone out. He opens up to his notes app, and he gets ready because, like, I don't want to miss this. I got to get this down. So God says, you ready for it? He's like, okay, I got it. I got it. Okay. He goes, I am. So he goes, arrow, I, space, A-M, space. And God's like, what? He's like, See, I'm waiting on some additional information here. You, you, are, you are what? And God's like, no, no, that's it. I am that I am. It, it, it means I will be that I will be. We know in English is his covenant name, Jehovah or Yahweh. It means I will be what I will be. And, 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 and he's trying to articulate to Moses here where Moses is going, I need a name to get. He's going, Moses, you have no idea how much you're going to need me to be. In fact, you have no idea how much I'm going to be for you. So there is no word that will articulately describe exactly who I'm going to be for you. So right now, all you get is an I am in a blank. So the next time you find yourself in a place where you need me to be something different, I will fill in that blank for you. So like, you need a deliverer. And he goes, I am your deliverer. You need a forgiver. And he goes, I am your forgiver. You need a strength. And he says, I am your strength. You need help. I am your help. You need comfort. He says, I am your comfort. You have no idea how much you need God to be for you. And that's why he says, we're going to leave it at this. I am. We'll fill in the blank later. I'll reveal more of who I am later. I'll show you more later. Throughout the stages of my life, you're going to learn more and more of what that means. But right now, Moses, you're going to have to just understand that I am. And we look here and Moses agrees to the assignment. God starts talking to Moses about expectations. Like what Moses should expect in this journey, in this process of getting the Israelites out. Because he, he wants us to understand a little bit about the process of following him. Because if there's ever a difference between your expectations and your experiences, that's where, that's where frustration lies. And God doesn't want him to be frustrated expecting one thing and experiencing something different. And he, he tells him, this is what you should expect as I free my people. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 21, he says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave you will not go empty-handed I want you to catch this he says I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave you will not go empty-handed this is so important your season of suffering that you have endured is going to add something to you the pain that you've gone through is going to add something to you. Very often, we're excited about what we've come out of, but really, we should be asking the question, what did I leave with? I came out of the storm. Yeah, but did you leave with new wisdom? I, I, I came through this loss. Yeah, but did you leave with new strength? I came through this pain. Yeah, but did you leave with new perspective? Because it's only when you leave with something that you can look back on it like David did and say, it was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your decrees. See, some of the greatest lessons that we experience in life come through seasons of challenges. And if you're going to suffer, hear me, if you're going to go through pain, leave with something. 
If you're gonna go through a divorce and your, your spouse has left you and what something you thought was gonna last is no longer there, leave with something. If you're gonna cry, leave with something. Don't go through pain in your life and just try to get out of it. Make sure when you leave, you leave with something. And God said, when you leave, you're not gonna leave empty-handed. This is a promise God made to the Israelites, made to Moses in Exodus chapter three. But now let's jump to Exodus chapter 12. Because it takes till Exodus chapter 12 when finally we see this happens. It says, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Now this is awesome in 12, but first, I want you to see the disparity here. Because it, God says it in chapter 3, but it doesn't happen until chapter 12. So the time of announcement was not the time of fulfillment. So the test for Israel is could they endure chapters 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12. Because we rejoice in chapter 3, but when it hasn't happened yet in chapter 4, what happens then? You know, we rejoice in chapter 3, but when it, now we're in chapter 5. It hasn't happened yet. What happens then? See, the test of faith is not just in the enormity of the task. The test of faith is also in the length of the wait. Not just how big can I believe God, but can I keep believing him even when it feels like it's not working? Can I keep believing God when I've been trying and maybe there's some of you in this room that you're in between chapters 3 and 12 and you've been believing him, you've been trying. Can you keep holding on for, for the breakthrough to come? Can you keep holding on for God to come through on his word? And God comes through on his word. It takes a while, but it finally happens. And we see that in chapter 12, finally the, uh, the Israelites are sent away. Pharaoh says, okay, we're done with this. God can convince Pharaoh, get out of here. Let, the, let these people go. So, so he sends them away, and he sends them away with their stuff. <laughs> then, then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has this wake-up moment going, wait a minute. I just destroyed the entire economy of Egypt. I, I lost our workforce. I gave them all of our goods. Like, this is the, like, we need to get them back. So Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends the, his, his army to go after the Israelites. So, so now Moses finds himself in a conundrum because he's leading the people and, and there's an army chasing him. The, an army trying to come and capture them, reclaim them to be slaves. And now he ends up at the Red Sea. So he's got the Red Sea in front of him. He's got the, the army behind him and he feels trapped. But remember, God is God of the exit. And there's a powerful leadership principle here, a very powerful one. If you're in leadership management, don't miss this. What happens next is the people start complaining. And the people start going, uh, hey, what are we going to do, Moses? What are we going to do? Moses, you got to, Moses, they're catching up with us. They're going to kill us. We're going to drown. Or they're going to kill us. Moses, what are we going to do? And he says, listen, sit, sit still and you're going to see the salvation. Just, just stop. Just, just sit still and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And then he goes over to God, and he's going, God, what are we going to do? Like, they're catching up with us, and we're going to drown. Like, God, what are we going to do? And then he comes back, and he's like, yeah, um, you know, God is about to do something, right? Like, like you just, are you pumped about this? Because God's going to do something. He comes over, he's like, God, you've got to do something, right? 
Powerful leadership here where he, he's just totally relying on going, I, I know God is God of the exit. He told me to do this. And you've heard the story. He stretches out his hand and he holds his staff over the water and the seas begin to part. See, I grew up in church. I was in Sunday school. I mean, I, I was in church when my mom was pregnant with me. I've been in church my entire life. I've been in Sunday school. I've seen the movies about the parting of the Red Sea. I've seen it taught on flannel graphs. Some of you have no clue what that is. But, like, I, I knew all about it from Sunday school. I, I, I read the story. I'd heard the story. You know, I, I knew the story of the parting of the sea. But there's a detail here that's essential that I've always missed. And this detail here in verse... Exodus 14, verse 21, says this, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. All that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land, and the waters were divided. Wait a minute. I thought when Moses raised his staff over the water that all of a sudden immediately there was a miracle and the waters parted. Like, isn't that what you've heard? Isn't that what we thought? But, but wait a minute. If the Bible says all that night the Lord drove the seas back with a strong wind. I believe it's important for us to understand this because some miracles are not immediate. Some miracles are incremental. Some miracles take time. So even when the Red Sea hasn't parted yet, I think what you and I as a church need to do is we need to pause to praise him because there's a wind blowing. So even though you find yourself where you feel trapped and you feel like I've been stuck here for so long and I don't know and the sea hasn't moved yet and and I don't know what we're going to do, we need to stop and praise God because God is blowing a fresh new wind in your life and a fresh new wind in your church. And it might be incremental, but what it means is it means that our God is working. Our God is doing something. And he opens the sea up. And the sea turns to dry ground. And the, and the, the Israelites move through. And it's interesting because the Israelites move through on the, on the word of God. They had a relationship with God. They knew God. God said, I want you to come out of of slavery. I want you to move through this place. When they asked for an exit, he provided an exit, and they moved through. And we see that the Egyptian army had caught up with the Israelites, and they observed what had just taken place. They thought, look at that. It's dry ground. They just made it through. Why don't we try to make it through? And the Egyptians tried to pursue the Israelites through the sea and God stopped blowing the wind and the sea collapsed and it drowned the Egyptians. Why? Because they were trying to move on someone else's word. See, if you try to live your life off of someone else's word, you're going to drown. That's why it's so important that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you can't live your life going, well, it's working for someone else, so I'm just going to try to copycat them and try to do what they do. No, 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 no. you got to hear from, more, from God on what your plan is for your life and your identity and your purpose. Because it was a word for Israel, but it was not a word for Egypt. And they tried to move, and they ended up drowning. So, so now we find ourselves in the wilderness. And this is interesting because the wilderness was just a transition place. 
The wilderness was never part of the promise. In fact, if you look, when God says, I'm, I'm going to give you a promised land, I'm going to give you Canaan, it was always about Canaan. When God talked to Moses, it was about getting the people to Canaan. When Moses talked to the people, it was about getting to Canaan. So the wilderness was not a place to stop. It was just a place to transition through. And, and they were coming out of slavery. They were going to transition through this wilderness and get to the promised land. The, the promise that God has for you in modern days. What does this look like? God tells us what it looks like. He says in John 10, 10, he says, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest, a better life, a good life, a fulfilled life, a life full of hope, a life full of peace, a life full of purpose, you know, a, a life where I'm your shepherd and I lead you and you see wonderful things happen. This is the promised land. The promised land is God's best for you. God's best for you. And here they are now in the wilderness, and Moses decides, I'm going to send some people on ahead. I want, I want some people to see how good this promise is that God has for us. So he sent 12 spies. 12 spies go ahead into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. And, and 10 of them come back and saw giants. And two of them came back and saw God's promise. Now is where the story, story takes a really sad turn. Because the ten talked the whole congregation into staying in the season that was better than their past, but not as good as their future. Did you hear me on this? They allowed ten people to talk the whole congregation into staying in a place of transition that was better than their past. They're not in slavery anymore, but is not as good as their future. Fellowship Church, I have a warning for you. I, I believe this as I've been praying for our church. As we, I believe that God is blowing a new wind on our church. That uh, There's a warning for you that you need to understand that in your own lives and amongst you, there are ten. There are those that would be amongst the ten who would try to get you to settle for, for not being where you were, but settle for not getting into the promise. And it sounds like, oh, we don't need to do that. We don't, we don't need to change our schedules around and put God first. We, we, don't need to, we don't need to take time to start our year off worshiping him. We don't need to trust him with our money. We're, like, things are good for me. I'm all right right now. I'm not in slavery anymore. I'm not all right. And the ten can talk you out of the blessings and the promises that he has for you. And you have no idea what God has around the corner for you. We see 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> Guys, I believe that living in his promise, we're going to see some miracles. I believe hope is coming back. I believe passion's coming back. I believe prodigals are coming back. The people you've been praying for that have run from God, he's calling them back. I, I believe that there's people in addiction, that a, the chains of addiction are coming off of you. There's a promise for you. God wants his best for you. The John 10, 10 life, he wants his best for you. So don't let people talk you out of his best. It might mean you might need to leave some people behind. Because we look at the story and we see that of the 12, only two made it into the promised land. Only two. Joshua and Caleb, 
Everyone else is going, oh, this is too, too much work. I'm fine where I'm at. I'm good. I'm comfortable here. This is awesome. Pitch me a tent. I'm going to be all right right where I am. And, and Caleb and Joshua are going, no. If God said he has more, I want more. And unfortunately, a whole generation missed out on it. And it was only Joshua and Caleb who actually began to see the fulfillment of God's promise. I want to pause and just... God's given me a heart for someone in this room that maybe you've been one of those ten. And you've been trying to get the people around you to settle. You've been trying to get them to just, ah, we're fine. We don't need to change plans. We don't need to do all that. That's for someone else. I mean, that's just a fanatical church people, whatever. Like, the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, and, and he wants to tell you it's not too late. You, you, you can change your plans and get on board with what God's hope is for you, what his preferences are for you. He's not going to force you, though. He's not going to force you into a place you don't want to go, but you can, you can get on board with his plans, and you can begin to see the miracles unlocked in your life. We go back to this story, and it's, it's crazy to me because looking at this story, it causes me to ask a question. Is After all of this, after all that Israel has just seen, the exodus, right, calling Moses out of Midian, the, the exodus, having the Egyptians give all their stuff to the, the Israelites, then the parting of the Red Sea, the Red Sea collapsing in Israel. After all of these miracles, how do you, I mean, how can you see God do all of that and then not take the next step into what he has for you? I believe present challenges have a way of infecting us with spiritual amnesia. I believe there's something that we all need to be aware of that sometimes you can forget about all the great things God has done in the past by focusing too much on the challenge that lies ahead. So how could they get stuck? How could they get stuck? The text clearly reveals it to us. If we go back to Numbers 13, it clearly reveals the reason they got stuck and didn't make it into the promised land. Uh, and and we, see, we see God did all his work, so we know it wasn't God. Their lack of progress was not God's fault. We see the answer in the text, Numbers 13, 33. They said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So the problem wasn't with how they saw God. The problem was with how they saw themselves. See, they saw the giants in the land, and the, and the fact that they saw giants, that was accurate. The problem was the way they saw themselves was inaccurate. Hear me now. They didn't lose to the giants. They lost to the grasshoppers. Because, because the grasshopper is bigger than the giant. The grasshopper in here is bigger than the giants out there. And the reason they didn't reach their potential and the reason they didn't reach their promise was not because of immorality. It was because of a voice of, ina of inadequacy. When they looked in, they didn't see that, that they were the type of person that God could use, that God could bless, that God could move forward. Somehow they trusted him enough to believe that he could take them out of Egypt. But they stopped trusting him somewhere along the way that he could do a work to bring them into the fulfillment of the promise. See, sometimes opportunities come wrapped in the wrapping paper of challenges. And they settled for less than God's best because they believed that they weren't big enough. 
They believed somehow, whether or not they would vocalize it, they believed somehow that their God wasn't big enough. See, it was a grasshopper. It was a, it was a little problem, a little something on the inside. The, the, the belief that God isn't first. The belief that God isn't before all. The belief that God doesn't have the answer. The belief that I am can't fill in the blank. That that stronghold on the inside believing that somehow God is not big enough to take you into what you've always hoped and you've always prayed for. Would you stand with me? I believe... Let let me say, I'm not advocating narcissism by any means. But... There's a reason that God talks to us frequently about who we are. There's a reason. There's a reason. And and he knows that I'm always going to behave in a way that's consistent of the way that I look at myself and what I believe about what he can do in me and through me. So he tells me, Dan, you're special, you're chosen, you're peculiar, you're salt, you're light. Well, why does he tell me that? He needs to know. No, he knows. He tells me that because he knows. So if, if he knows that about me, then why does he tell me that? He tells me that because I need to know. And God speaks to you. And you hear the whispers where he tells you, you're salt, you're light, you're different, you're peculiar. It's not awkwardness. It's uniqueness. I've set you apart for a reason. I'm bringing you to a new place. I'm bringing you to a new space. God wants to do a miracle work in your life. He wants you to to change our city. He wants to give you purpose. He doesn't want to just pump you up and get you going, man, I heard a good message and that was fun and I feel good. He wants you to understand why he puts you on this earth. He wants you to understand that you are in that workplace because he loves those people and he wants to know those people. And those people should be in this church with us, learning, worshiping right alongside you. He's given you a purpose. He's given you a purpose. So Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name right now, we come before you and we pray that you would break the back of the grasshopper of inadequacy off of us. And we pray that God, when we look at ourselves, we would first look at you. We would look at how great you are and how big you are and how awesome you are and trust in that and trust that God, we are in you and you are in us. And if we have a relationship with you, Jesus, then there is nothing out there. There's no obstacle, no giant out there that we can't just completely overcome when you tell us to overcome it. So God, I pray right now that you would release people from insecurity and inadequacy and a wrong vision of ourselves and God, I pray that you would begin pouring out your vision and your purpose for our lives on each of us individually, not living off of someone else's word, but living off of, God, what you're speaking to us. God, help us right now. I pray that none of us would miss out on where you want to take us, that none of us would get convinced by the 10 negative, by the 10 uh, uh, mediocre, by the 10 mundane, uh, but, but we instead would say, no, God can surely do a work in my life. God can surely do a miracle. So help us, God. Help us to move forward. And it's our prayer that no one in our church would miss out on where you're bringing us. No one in our church, no one in our city, no one in this valley as we move forward would miss out on the fire of your love and your passion and your anointing that you are igniting in this place. So Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and there is no better way to stop this service than to lift up and praise the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.
In Jesus' name. We thank you so much, Father. We thank you. Love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.